Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is non-stop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kicked. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson. I am joined by a star-studded cast. We are rolling out the full regime here today. We are going to be joined, of course, as always, by Brown Golf Management CEO and Golfback CEO John Brown. We're going to bring in Bryce Voison, Director of Revenue and Technology, and Brent Miller, who has joined us on the show previously, and he is the Chief Information Officer for both Golfback and Brown Golf Management. John, welcome back. We have a full docket, a great guest today, and we're going to be talking about point-of-sale system, why they matter so much, and how they're going to change the game moving forward. We are, Jordan, and a lot of uh, owners and operators are faced with a decision about what to do with their technology when it comes to their point-of-sale systems and T-sheets. The two guys uh, that are going to be talking to us today, obviously, are the experts for Brown Golf and Golf Back as it relates to point of sale systems. We want to get their feedback and we just want to give the audience a little bit of firepower whenever they're having these discussions with the different options in the marketplace, what might be important and why, and, and just give them some real strong data points to go to market with. And John, I think I know a lot of people who I work with in the fitness industry actually have started listening to the show. And I don't know if they've listened to every episode, but a lot of the information that we share and a lot of the experts that we bring in, like Brent Miller and Bryce Voison, a lot of this carries over in not only to the golf industry, but business abroad. I think that's fair to say. Absolutely. I think it's, it's completely fair to say, and I think there's a lot of transferable aspects of this discussion as it relates to golf to other businesses. At the end of the day, technology can be you know, somewhat complicated to folks that are working day in and day out in an operation. So we're going to try to give them just a few things to really help them uh, along in this decision-making process. So I'm excited. So Brent, what exactly is a point of sale or POS system? Well, it's basically, in uh, so many terms, it's where the transactions of your business happen. So a customer comes in, they, uh, you know, you're given goods and services. Uh, when they pay for that good or service, then uh, that transaction happens in the point of sale. So Bryce, if a golf course owner and operator is looking for options in the marketplace, what are some of the most well-known POS providers that are available today? Yeah, so there's there's quite a few options. Um, some of the more well-known ones are uh, Lightspeed, 4UP, Club Profit Systems, Golf Now, Club Caddy, uh, Total E Integrated, Easy Links, Jonas, Tion, T-Snap, and 10.4. So Brent, what is the difference between a cloud-based system and a server-based system? Well, in a, uh, a server-based system, the back end, the, uh, the engine of the point of sale, so to speak, lives on a server that is located at your facility. Uh, in a cloud-based system, that server basically lives on a, what they call the cloud, but really it's just another server that is, you know, maybe in Texas or maybe in some other state, but you can access that, that server from anywhere remotely. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, when people hear the word cloud, some people actually get intimidated by that term. That's basically, for lack of better terms, an online storage facility for, for files, for technology, for data, things of that nature. 
That's correct. Yeah, it's um, basically another computer that is just not at your house. So Bryce, what exactly does open integration actually mean? And why is that important? Point of sale companies that provide open integration, it basically means that they allow any third party application to tie into that point of sale or that T-sheet and extract data from the point of sale or T-sheet or push data to the point of sale or T-sheet. It's important because as a golf course owner or operator, if the point of sale company allows open integration, it's up to me to choose who I want to work with as it relies, you know, as it relates to email marketing, CRM tools, booking engines, um, third party, third party aggregate tee times, Google data studio, roll up dashboards, um, all of those different applications as an operator, I get to choose who I want to work with if that point of sale company provides open integration. So John, forgive my ignorance on this topic. Maybe this is common knowledge, but how exactly are POS systems priced? Is there one you know, upfront fee that you would pay or is it a percentage-based thing on the back end or something in that vein? What does the pricing structure look like? It's one of the more challenging components of evaluating the different options in the marketplace. Uh, there's different pricing models for different point of sale systems. There's can be cash-based pricing, barter or traded tea time pricing. There's requirements uh, to use certain credit card processing fees potentially, which may be part of the pricing model. So it really can be different uh, point of sale system to point of sale system. So it's it's important to understand exactly what services you're receiving. And it's important that you have transparent pricing. So Bryce, a term that I hear tossed around a lot on this show, and we're going to actually delve into this with Harvey in a little bit here, is the word barter tea time. So help me understand, what does a barter tea time actually entail and how are barter tea times actually sold? If a golf course chooses to pay for technology or distribution services through barter, they're basically giving up a tea time on their tea sheet to that provider um, and that provider will sell it for their own profit. Typically, barter is posted on third-party aggregate sites. You know, so if you go to a com- you know, if you go to golfnow.com, for example, hot deals you see listed there are barter tee times that the golf courses are giving up in exchange for technology or distribution services. So, John, we often discuss golf now and the wheelings and dealings of golf now on this program. Not necessarily an entity that I thought would come up today. I. I know golf now as a place where you can search and buy tee times. I'm now under the impression that golf now also doubles as its own point of sale entity. Is that correct? Correct. They offer point of sale services, other services to marketing services website in exchange for traded bartered tee times, uh, which they then list on golf now and liquidate as hot deals. And, you know, the ironic part about golf now's transaction from being an online tea time company to being into the point of sales market is when the company was first developed, it was just an online tea time marketplace and they needed open integrations into the point of sales providers in the market at that time to grow their business. Now that they are in the point of sales service business themselves, they do not provide that same open integration to other technology providers. So they've gone full circle from being company that needed those open integrations to a company that no longer allows those open integrations. Given what you just explained about golf now, are there any other platforms that double as both 
a point of sale system as well as a place to search and buy tee times? Well, Golf Now bought uh, their largest competitor, which was Easy Links, and they use a website called teoc.com to liquidate their trade inventory uh, in exchange for the services of the point of sale system. So Golf Now bought uh, Easy Links, which is obviously the largest market segment that deals in offering point of sale services while liquidating trade tee times on an aggregate platform. But there are other point of sale systems that do offer pricing models of trade as well. Four up is one. And uh, I believe T-Snap offers some barter uh, capabilities as well. One thing that we think is vitally important is transparent pricing and knowing your price. Uh, When you're dealing in barter, it's very hard to know what your price is. So John, Bryce and Brent did an excellent job of clarifying a lot of information today. Last time we had Brent on the show, he talked about all things SEO, but let's, let's be honest. Some of this stuff can get very messy. It can get very confusing, very convoluted, very quickly. Who should someone seek out if they need more clarification? They know they need a POS system. They know they want the best, but they may not be quite sure which is the best option for their business. The first piece of advice I would give any club owner or operator is write down what's important to you in a point of sales relationship, and then you can go out and have your tutorials and evaluate the options in the marketplace. But if you need assistance uh, further than that, you know, Golf Back Solutions would be happy to help evaluate the different models, the pricing, the hardware and software components. We understand uh, all aspects and how they factor and play into the big picture. We're happy to help owners and operators navigate that fairly difficult uh, path of understanding you know, what services you're receiving and your pricing and then what that means for your business. We're there to help you. Golfback Solutions. Or you can visit golfbacksolutions.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. My name is Jordan Michael Colson, about to be joined, as always, by Brown Golf Management and Golfback CEO and President John Brown. We also have an esteemed guest on the show today. His name is Harvey Silverman, and Harvey is a golf and marketing professional with multiple decades of experience in golf course marketing, reputation management, technology consultation, and beyond. Harvey has written a myriad of critically acclaimed publications, books, blogs, and articles relating to the golf industry, how to improve best practices, create innovative marketing and promotional campaigns, and much more. Harvey is based out of Redwood City, California, but he makes himself very accessible with contact information and a vast array of valuable information on his website, silverbackgolfmarketing.com. Harvey joins us on the show today, and we are very excited to have him on the Golf Exposed podcast. Harvey, thank you for your time today. Welcome to the program. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Looking forward to answering uh, the pertinent questions of the day. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Harvey. You've obviously written a ton of articles in the golf space related to golf technology, related to diversity, related to all sorts of different issues, the ideas around time management and playing golf. And we're excited to have you on today. So I think one of the things that I'd like to just lay out for the audience here is just your depth of experience and frankly, how long ago you started experiencing technology in the golf space. So what is your first memory of technology and golf and and how did it begin to change things in the golf space from your standpoint? 
I went to work in 1996 for EasyLinks, which at that time had began to market an electronic T-sheet and online booking engine. And it was the dawning of the internet. And here I was in uh, basically close by, if not in Silicon Valley itself. And the internet was just blossoming, was just blowing up uh, here in Northern California. And I thought, well, this is really cool because myself, like the guys who created Easy Links, Steve McKenna and Andy Weeks, had tired of having to pick up the phone all the time to find a tea time and being told it's, it's full or nobody answers or you're put on hold or whatever. So I thought the electronic tea sheet and online booking engine coupled with the explosion of the internet was like the coolest thing ever. And I wanted to be a part of it. And what, what it began really is the demise of those companies that were printing and providing paper tea sheets to thousands of golf courses around the country. I don't know that we ever see those anymore, but uh, I give EasyLinks credit for uh, saving a whole bunch of trees because paper tea sheets um, aren't being used anymore. And what a lot of folks that are analyzing just the online tea time world probably don't know is sort of the depth of how we started in the mid 90s until we got to the point that we are today. And you actually wrote, and I thought it was, or you were part of compiling a fantastic outline of the history of online tea times with the Tea Time Coalition. I actually went through this probably two years ago for the first time. I thought it was fascinating, me personally. Can you tell us a little bit about compiling that work and just what you learned about the history of online tea times from the mid-90s until producing that work with the Tea Time Coalition? Well, one thing that became obvious to me as I was compiling this and I realized without really knowing, going through some old boxes of files, uh, both paper and electronic on my computer that had been transferred probably from two or three computers over the years, was all this information I had compiled about online tea times. Some of it my wife and kids would tell you is wasting uh, memory cells with useless information, but still I figured, hey, at some point somebody's going to want to know these things. One of the things that became obvious was that without knowing the exact figure, hundreds of millions of dollars had been spent over the years trying to capture the online tea time business. When you look at companies like Book for Golf, Greens.com, who I worked for briefly, E2E Solutions, and several others, you begin to, to, to get an understanding that these things weren't built on the cheap, that there were investors and, and investing huge sums of money to try to make these things work. And for the most part, they all crashed and burned at some point. Uh, the one that survived, obviously, is, is Golf Now. But really, Golf Now wouldn't be where it is today if my friend Harry Ipema had not sold four reservations to it in 2013, I think, eight years ago. So they had the financial capabilities with Golf Channel and the companies behind Golf Channel to be able to pay for that software, that the millions of dollars, whatever it is, nobody really knows for sure. But I've always estimated somewhere between 15 and $20 million that Harry got. They paid supposedly $41.3 million for Cypress Golf Solutions. This was Golf Channel who bought Cypress Golf Solutions that became Golf Now. Brett Darrow and his partners cashed out nicely on that. But just from those two things, plus the others that uh, are no longer with us and didn't really last very long, 
the millions of dollars poured into this with no return is an exceptional story if we were ever able to to get confirmation, more precise information on what monies were actually invested and lost. And Golf Now, obviously, the company you mentioned was the one that sort of made it through the history and startup of online tea times through acquiring different companies, changing, being bought themselves, growing. And as we sit today, they're the behemoth when it comes to online tea time reservations. They've also moved into the point of sales market as well. And they actually purchased the second largest online tea time provider, which was teeoff.com. And you actually wrote an article called Does the Golf Now Acquisition of EasyLinks Deserve Antitrust Scrutiny? And the reason you wrote that is because the Department of Justice is reviewing that purchase. What are your thoughts on writing that article and where do you think that sits today? I think that the acquisition deserves scrutiny, whether there's a case there or not, uh, is not for me to determine. Jay Karen and NGCOA have been pursuing this. Uh, I did uh, talk with and interview their antitrust attorney in Washington, whose article uh, I took and, and requoted in my article. So I, I think that there's elements to it, if you look at the law, that deserves some scrutiny. But I think that some of that has been somewhat diminished because golf now on the software side continues to lose market share. So if that continues, it really kind of takes the edge off of whether there's an antitrust situation here or not. Unless they exceeded, and, and they haven't at this point, but unless they exceed 50% or more of software placements at golf, public golf courses with all of the various software companies that Golf Now has bought over the years, they're really, it's really tough to make that case, I think. If they make another purchase somewhere down the road, all of that can, could change. But at this point, if they continue to, to lose customers, and, and all the indications are that that continues uh, with others in the space like, like 4UP, which has now been purchased, and Club Caddy, which has been purchased and has both have uh, exceptional resources behind them, they're taking considerable market share for club profit as well are taking considerable market share away from golf now. Harvey, I think I have a solution. If there were two aspects that were delivered through the antitrust research, I would say one, that there's an honest attempt at open integration with other technology platforms. That would be number one. And number two, they allowed clubs to leave a technology agreement with a 90-day you know, clause or window for termination, even if those two items were installed and nothing else was changed, I think that would drastically assist the marketplace. Any thoughts on those two items? I agree with those, John, but I, I think maybe the real issue here, and I don't know that this would apply to anti, any type of antitrust uh, scrutiny, but the real issue is that Golf point-of-sale companies should not also be in the tea time marketplace business. That there has to be, there should be, and for years there always was, a dividing line between the two, a, a very distinct dividing line between the two. But both EasyLinks and Golf Now, uh, Golf Now being first uh, when they bought four reservations, crossed that line of being both a software provider and uh, a tea time marketplace, and EasyLinks followed suit. Uh, now that they're all one, 
that gives more emphasis on, on antitrust scrutiny. But I think from a golf course perspective, from a golf course operator's perspective, I think they have to, you have to realize how dangerous it is that your point of sale company is also in the tea time marketplace business, which means that it's selling not just your tea times, but it's selling tea times to your customers for other golf courses. Well, those are great points, Harvey, and I agree with many of them. Uh, another huge news story is the fact that the PGA of America is entering the online tea time space through a partnership with Supreme Golf. Uh, they want to post inventory for golf courses. They're actually out in the marketplace right now trying to secure golf course inventory from courses so that they could sell them at pgateetimes.com. You wrote an article called It's Deja Vu All Over Again, and I'd like you just to expand on that article and the fact that this is really the reincarnation of something that was happening and being fairly heavily discussed uh, years back. Back in 2012, the PGA announced a partnership with Golf Now at their annual meeting in Orlando. I think it was the day before uh, the 2012 PGA Merchandise Show. And members got up and screamed in defiance. There had been no communication, I guess, between the membership about what was happening or how this was happening. But regardless, the deal was dead two or three days later. Just members revolted, primarily because Golf Now then, uh, as it uh, very much has now, has that bad reputation about barter. And there were enough PGA members who understood the dangers that said, we don't want this. And so that deal was dropped. I think there's three key issues here that the industry needs to look at. And, and the first is, does the industry really need another this intermediary between the golfer and the golf course? that launches another battle for customer loyalty. You've had that battle ongoing with GolfNow and, and GolfNow.com and EasyLinks and TeeOff.com. And now here's another entity, uh, as well as Supreme Golf, here's another entity that was gonna make it that much more difficult for golf courses to build and maintain their customer loyalty if there's other places they can go to find the same tee time they can find on that golf course's website. Another issue is that there's two things that drive golfers to Golf Now or Tee Off or Supreme, and that's price and selection. Golf Now is primarily, and Tee Off has always primarily been driven by price. The top of Google searches save up to 80%. And I identified that and chronicle that in the Beware Barter document. But that's their number one driver. Number two is selection. Golf Now has got you know, several thousand golf courses. But the situation here with PGA is if they don't get the selection and I'm getting the feeling that they're not getting what they thought they'd get because we would have heard more by now. You know, they wanted to launch before the PGA show. That didn't happen. Uh, the last I heard, they wanted to launch uh, sometime in March. Now we're mid-March and we still haven't heard anything. There were a couple press releases in February about a couple small management companies that they had signed to be to, to list their courses, and we've heard nothing since. So my guess is that uh, they're not getting the numbers of courses that they had hoped to get. And if that doesn't happen, and they go ahead and launch, it's reasonable to 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 ask if they're going to go back to those courses and say, "Hey, look, if you want more people to come to the site and book more tee times." Maybe you've got to put up some special prices. Maybe you've got to do some discounting. The connection with Supreme Golf is mentioned five or six times. 
and 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 that's another issue because Supreme Golf lists golf now's hot deal times. So people, you know, who will, might toggle between the two will go to Supreme Golf and say, "Oh, look, I can find a better deal here than I can on the PGA site," and that just destroys the whole idea of what what I thought PGA was trying to do. Good response. Great history there. Beware of Barter, one of the larger documents that you've written in conjunction with the National Golf Course Owners Association. I'd love for you just to dive into that document, how it came about, and what you took from it. This came about from a phone call from Jay Karen, CEO of NGCOA, calls me up one day and says, do you think we can kill Barter? That initiated a, a conversation, and Jay commissioned me to develop, organize, compile, and, and write what became the document known as Beware of Barter. But along with exposing and documenting the dangers of barter, but it wasn't just the barter, it was the ancillary effects of giving up tea times to a third party that really became more of the narrative in what those and how those dangers uh, exist out there that acutely affect every golf course's ability to build and maintain customer loyalty. Uh, so it took about eight months to finish that, uh, working along with, with Dave Barton at NGCOA, getting it edited and refined. And uh, they did a fantastic job of putting it into a well-organized PDF document uh, with the various images that, that I had assembled and, and put in there, really put a professional look to the document. Uh, that was distributed uh, right before the um, 2019 NGCOA Golf Business Conference, or 2020 Golf Business Conference. Since then, I mean, it, it always thrills me when I talk to somebody and I ask them if they've read Beware of Barter, and they said, oh, yeah, I've read it, and I've passed it on to my managers, and I've had other people read it. We think it's terrific. And the more I hear that, the more I become convinced that it's become a foundational piece of education for anyone running a public golf course. I would completely agree with that. If you're running a public golf course, you need to read that document. It's available uh, on the NGCOA site. Harvey, with all that you've done in the industry, written about, learned about, seen, if you're going to give a golf course owner or operator just a couple of tips to remember uh, moving forward, what would they be? I think the biggest thing, John, is that anyone who wants to sell your tee times whether it's a Golf Now or a Tee Off or Supreme uh, or the other entities out there like Golf Moose and Click It Golf and there, there's several others, anyone who wants to sell your tee times gains a customer base to which they can sell other courses tee times to those same people. Golf courses will, will suffer in that regard because they're, they're breaking apart that rather fragile loyalty connection they've already made with their customer. Today's business world, uh, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not adding millions and millions of new golfers. We probably did in, in 2020. We'll have to wait to see uh, how that holds up uh, in 2021 and beyond as things are loosening up and people now have places that where they used to frequent and spend their discretionary money are opening up movie theaters and restaurants and travel and so on. So that loyalty, again, becomes very fragile. And my suggestion to courses is whatever you do, you got to make sure you capture a customer contact information in your T-sheet point of sale system. John, I, I know you do that well with, with Golfback. But then you've got to find and implement ways to market harder 
than what the third parties are doing. Do any Googling at all of your golf course. You're going to see what the third parties are doing by buying it's at the top of the page. There could be three or four listed there before they even get to an actual golf course website. They've got those capabilities. You probably don't. Welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. A sincere thank you to Harvey Silverman for his time and his great insight today. You can peruse many of the articles, many of the vast array of things that Harvey has going on in his professional career. Highly recommend you check out silverbackgolfmarketing.com. And as you're perusing that site, something that might catch your eye that I personally found very interesting, and I don't know if it's partially my ADD or just whatever it is that made this catch my eye, but... Harvey is also one of the founders of something called Quick Golf, and we didn't get to touch on it on the show today just due to lack of time because Harvey is just a wealth of knowledge and we had to get to so many different items. But in 2017, the Wall Street Journal featured an article called No Time for 18 Holes, Let's Play 5 by Brian Costa, which outlines the essence of Quick Golf. Harvey is a big proponent of Quick Golf. You can read about it on his website, silverbackgolfmarketing.com. And there's also more information at quick.golf backslash courses. Essentially, if you're looking for technology that will allow golfers to pay to play by hole, check out Harvey's company, Quick Golf. Very interesting, very innovative stuff. And we thank Harvey once again for his time and wisdom here today on Golf Exposed. Well, John, great interview with Harvey. A lot of knowledge there. Good to talk to him too. Very conversational, great guy. Enjoyed having him and all the guests that we've had on the show. And we're sort of in the home stretch of season one. It's been a learning experience. It's been a lot of fun, a lot to digest. And I think if anything, we can promise moving forward that we're going to do our absolute best to get better and remain consistent. So as we bring a close to season one, what's on the horizon for season two and beyond? Well, next week will be episode eight, which will be our final episode of season one. It's a great inspirational story about a pair of brothers who reached the pinnacle of their sport. And I'm really excited about that episode to air. If you're not motivated after that episode, I don't know if you can be motivated. So really exciting to bring that to you to close out season one. After next week, we will bring a special master's edition during master's week. uh, So everyone can look for that. And we will be airing season two beginning May 20th to 23rd, which is PGA Championship Week. And we've got some great guests, some great topics, and we're just going to keep building the show and the momentum. And we're excited. Absolutely. And of course, we thank everyone who's been tuning in to season one. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, our home server, Podbean, the Brown Golf Management and Golf Back websites, pretty much every platform that you can listen to podcasts on, Golf Exposed, both our betting segments and our business and story segments are available there. And John, it's been an honor to, to be here so far, and I look forward to what's going to happen in the future. So if anybody has anything that they know they want to see moving forward or guests they'd like us to try to acquire, you can reach out to John. John, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you for business inquiries, for just general conversation? You make yourself an open book, and that's very, very helpful. BrownGolfManagement.com is our uh, core company website, but my email address is easy. It's jmbrown at browngolf.net. And uh, you're more than welcome to reach out uh, with any interesting topics that you'd like to discuss, or if there's any questions you have about the business, I'm here and available.